Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where your past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. The next few minutes, with the Lord's help, I want to talk to you about don't die in your nest. Deuteronomy chapter 32, reading verses, I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, and then 9 through 12. Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 and 2, verses 9 through 12. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew. As raindrops on the tender herb, and as showers on the grass. Verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in the desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. Father, I thank you that your word is not only truth and spirit, but it's also life. I know the Holy Spirit, you desire to speak to hearts here this morning, and so I I just declare that you're going to have absolute freedom to do whatever you want to do. Father, we just bind every hindering spirit, every contrary thought, and we loose you, Holy Spirit. We, we know that without you, nothing of value will be accomplished here today. And I thank you. As, as the Lord's put on my heart this thought about you not dying in your nest, I, I went, to his, went to this chapter, and as I like to do, I, use, I like to read a lot of verses before it and after it so that I fully understand what it's saying. And when I, when I read those verses starting in verse 1, it just kind of jumped off the page at me. Here's what God is saying. He he wants us to get what he says in verses 9 to 12, but he also wants us to know how important this is to him. And so he says, listen, heavens, you listen to what I'm about to say. Earth, you listen to what I'm about to say. He, what he's literally doing is he's, he's not just speaking to the stars or the planets, he's He's making a declaration into the spiritual atmosphere. This is important because if you just wind back just a few books in the Bible, you come to Genesis where the same God is speaking to the same nothingness and he's declaring things and in response to his word, things are happening. In fact, later in Scripture it says in These matters are settled in heaven. In the spiritual realm, 
what we're going to learn about today is already settled in the heavens. This isn't, you need to know something. We, we sometimes get this idea that, that God and Satan are locked in a battle. The enemy would like you to think that's what's taking place. Jesus already won that battle. That battle is settled forever in heaven. When Jesus said it was finished, he meant it was finished. You and I are still engaged in a battle, and if we allow the enemy, he will goad us into engaging him in battle, but but the way that we battle the enemy is just to resist. And so this word that we're about to learn is already settled in the spiritual realm. This is already a truth, spiritually speaking. And God is also declaring it down on earth. You and I were made of the dust of the ground. From dust we came and from dust we'll return. God has already put this out there for you and I to accept it and believe it. That's when everything changes. It's the key in the lock. You can, you can go to the, the car dealership this afternoon and you can sit in the finest made automobile, but if you don't have the key and if you don't stick it in and turn it, that's all you're going to do is sit there. But there comes a time if you arrange for the financing or you pay for the vehicle, there comes a time when the dealer hands the key over to you and now it's yours to drive. Without that key, you're going nowhere. You're just sitting in somebody else's car. And the key, if you will, is is when you and I begin to believe what God said in his word. We once were at a a car dealership many, many, many years ago. I, I was looking for a used car, and we were going through these cars and looking at them, and and saw this one car sitting there, and it, it, it looked okay. It, it didn't look as clean as the others. And I sat down in it, looked around, and thought, man, they should have cleaned it up a little bit better. Sure enough, there was a key in the ignition, so I thought, well. So I cranked it up, you know, and revved the engine a few times, and some guy walked up and said, dude, what are you doing in my car? This truth that God wants us to understand this morning, I, I want you to know that he started out by, he, he, this is already settled with him. He doesn't have to be convinced of this. In the heavens, this is already settled. On earth, it's settled as far as God's concerned. What he's wanting is for you and I to get a hold of this truth. To get into the car and grab the key that he's given us called faith and turn the key to see if it's a reality. So he declares to the heavens, he said, heavens, listen to what I'm saying. Earth, you listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. And then in verse 9, he says, you want to know what I want out of all this deal? God said, when I stood there and I created everything, 
when I put all the laws of nature into order, when I spoke the planets and the universes and the galaxies and the sun and this earth and, and all of nature, and, and I planted you in the garden and allowed you to grow, you want to know what I want out of all of this? I want you. That's so much more important than we put it out to be because we're living in a culture that says, that will teach us that we're here for the planet. The planet is here for us. And God says, here's what I want out of the deal. I I just want you. I created all of that so that I could create you. You see, he, he did all of that. He wanted you and I to be able to go out in the daytime and see the sun. I know we've forgotten what that is, but it's a round ball that shines in the sky, and it, it, it's, it's known to create heat. How many remember? I think that's how it works. It'll, it'll show up again, I'm pretty sure. We'll see it again. Or so that we can go out at night. And, and I, I gotta, It's my job. Last thing before we go to bed is to take the dog out. Thankfully, the weather's getting a little bit better. You know, when it was like minus 10 degrees, I didn't like taking him out. Because dogs have this habit. It's just like, come on. That was a good spot. (laughs) But he's got to sniff here and sniff here and sniff here. How many know what I'm talking about? And I'm, I'm like, body parts are freezing and dropping off of me, and he's still walking around sniffing. I want to give him a door buzzer. Listen, dude, when you're done, press this. I'll come open the door. But, but I, I get to go out at night, and I look up at the stars, and it's a, a, a last-of-the-day reminder of the, the magnificence of God. And if you want to know why God did all of that, There are people trying to tell you it's because there's UFOs and there's other alien lives out there. And... God said, I did all of that as a reminder to you of how incredibly big I am. And yet what I want out of the deal is a personal relationship with you. When the enemy makes you to doubt that This thing's too hard for God. Just step outside. Oh, I've got scripture. He told Abraham, you don't think I can give you kids? Abraham said, have you seen how old my wife is? Dude, serious. She's old. JJ this week lost major points with me. He said something about like, Well, you're in your 60s, aren't you, Dad? We have one kid for sale, cheap. But he told Abraham, come on, look at all those stars, man. Is there anything too hard for God? God put those there so that we'd have a constant reminder of how incredibly big God is. And God is saying, here's what I want. Here's my portion. Here's my portion out of the deal. I want you.
And he says, I, 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 know, I know where I'm going to find you. I know that I'm going to find you in a desert place. I know that it's going to be a wilderness. I know that when I find you, things are not going well. How many remember that? When he found us, it wasn't going well in our lives. When he found me, it wasn't going well in my life. I, I had 24 years of making a mess of it, and I'd made a mess of it. And, and yet in the, in the midst of that wilderness, that's where he found me. Are you getting it? He found me. He didn't stand afar off and say, hey, He found you and I. He, you don't find something unless you're looking for it. Unless you miss it. Unless it's just, this is more than just, you know, I, I had a pencil a minute ago. You, when you, you can't find a pen, you just grab another one. It, it's not like that. What, this, is, this is personal to him. This, he's missing his relationship with you. His life would be more complete if he had a relationship with you and there was a connection and he talked to you and you talked to him and so he, he went out and he didn't look into good places. He, he, he looked in even in the bad places, in the, the ugly, the wilderness places where, where things are not going well. How many know what I'm talking about? He wasn't looking for people who already got their act together. The problem with American Christianity is we have this idea that God is out looking for Barbie and Ken. I mean, know what I'm talking about. He's not looking for Barbie and Ken. He's looking for the toys in Toy Story. What was that kid's name? Sid. In Sid's room. Now you got the picture? No Kenny and Barbies over there. Well, there were some Kenny and Barbies in Sid's room, but they didn't look like Kenny and Barbie. And God is looking for children in Sid's room. And he finds us in a mess. And then it all changes. It says that he kept him... Jacob, notice a play on words. I don't, I don't have a lot of time here. Notice a play on words here. Jacob is referred to as a place here in Scripture. Jacob, he was, a, he was not a good guy. Deceived and deceitful. And, and yet, the Bible says that God made him the apple of his eye. He, apple of his eye. I, I, Gail Beth once described that, shared it with me, what that meant was that that when you, when you get close enough to somebody, I think she even did this at a Bible study, she had women get nose to nose almost with each other and look in the other person's eye and say, what do you see? And they would start to say stuff, but, but as they continue to look and they look closer, what they would see was their own reflection in the other person's eye. That's what it means as the apple of the eye. He's that close. God wasn't afar off. He... In the wilderness, in the bad place, he's still right there. He has you as the apple of his eye. And, and so that day when the God called that lady out in our church service and a number of years ago, and 
she had a hard life and she'd had some bad times and she questioned whether God was ever there for her and, and God made it known that, and he named the times in the, uh, her life when, when she doubted if God was there and God told her, I was right there with you. And then salvation comes. The story changes from hunting for this person in the wilderness to now they're part of the nest. There's a change in the story. The story starts in verse 1 where he's declaring to the heavens and the earth. And he's looking for somebody and they're in a bad place. And the fact that they're in a bad place doesn't bother him. He's, he's bigger than that. And, and even while they're in the bad place, they're the apple of his eye. And he keeps them there as the apple of his eye. But but now, all of a sudden, the story changes and they're, they're not in a wilderness anymore. They're in the nest. They're in his nest. And he says, as the eagle. How many love eagles? I just, I just think they're just magnificent birds. I like going to the zoo. I, I really don't like stopping at the eagle's cage. Because the... the the eagle is, is meant to fly. And he doesn't. He's just, he's just stuck there in the cage. And I, I know that all animals are stuck in the cage of the zoo, or they should be. But, but something, I don't know, it just bothers me. It's, it doesn't matter how, how small or how big that eagle's cage is. When you go look for the eagle, you never look down in the ground. You always got to look up because it's always up on the highest branch. It may be in a cage, but it's in the highest branch. We, uh, I got a joke that I, I, I've used a few times. Go to a restaurant, and the waitress or waiter will come up and tell you their name. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I'll be helping you today. And sometimes they have a very unique name. And so they'll say, you know, hi, I'm Chiquia, or whatever name they got. And I'll usually ask them, what, what is, what, what, do you know what your name means? And they never know, and they go, no. I said, I, actually, there's a, there's a deep meaning to your name. And they go, what? I said, it's, it's from Indian lore, and it, it means one who runs with eagles. And they usually go, oh, that's beautiful. I said, no, 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 that's stupid. Eagles don't run. I mean, come on. That's, 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 that's really stupid. Oh, that's not what my name means? No, I don't know what your name means. I just made it up. It, it's, but, man, shoot higher than that. Runs with eagles. Think about it. So I actually do that, folks. At first it sounds good, doesn't it? One who runs with eagles. Oh, wow. Oh. But he says here that as an eagle, the next few minutes I want to talk about an eagle in its nest. Number one thing, you don't ever find an eagle's nest on the ground. Eagle typically puts its nest very high in the air. And it's in that nest, very high in the air, that the egg is laid that will become the little eagle. Somebody needs to grab hold of something this morning. There's a reason why God used the term like an eagle. Because he knows that, number one, eagle children start their life high up. You need to know. He, he, he wants you to get used to that viewpoint. 
Because that's the viewpoint he wants you to have. You, when you and I were saved, when we came into our relationship with God, we need to know something. In that moment, we were seated in heavenly places. Religion would have you trying to claw your way up there. You don't fight for position in God. You've been given position in God. You start at the top. You have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You start there. You have been given that place. Jesus one time looked at the disciples, some of these disciples who were going to deny him, some of them who weren't soon to be disciples, who were going to struggle, but he said, listen, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. He said, I'm going to pre-. Peter hadn't denied him yet. Didn't matter. God knew what he was going to do. He wants you to know something. When you start in your relationship with God, you get as saved as you will ever be. You can't add to it. You can't make it better. You can't even put a shine on it. Your righteousness is as filthy rags before God, so quit trying to be acceptable. Somebody says, well, you're giving people license to sin. You don't know the love of God. The love of God compels us to draw closer. The love of God woos us away from the edge. The love of God compels us to shun sin because when you've tasted the good things of God, the, the good things, if you will, of this world don't taste nearly as good. And so he starts us at the top. And, and, and listen, you can have good days and bad days, but you're still in the nest. You're still his child. There are days when you parents know what I'm talking about, when you just want to grab your children and hug them, and there are days when you, you, want, to, you want to touch them, but in a different way. How I many know what I'm talking about? Okay, your embrace won't be as fervent, I'll put it that way. And, and it's like that with kids, but they're still your kids. And even if your kids are just just being rotten and nasty, don't nobody mess with them because they're my kids. If you and that, I then, being yet sinful of a nature, if we know how to love our kids, how much more? And you need to get that into your heart because the devil has made your heavenly father to be so flippant and so so easily swayed when you need to know something he knows that you're his child and you are his workmanship and he's going to work on you and work on you and work on you all the way until the day of jesus christ and then whatever didn't get finished in a moment in the twinkling of an eye we shall all be changed Because the moment you became truly his, his name is on the line. And his love never fails. So you start in the eagle's nest up high. But secondly, have you ever thought about this? 
Anybody in here has ever seen an eagle's nest? Man, the, the, some of them can be large. There's one over near Vermillion, Ohio, that they say weighs over 1,000 pounds. Man. And the eagle's nest is, is built out of sticks. They just kind of weave these sticks together. But listen to here, there's a truth here. Every stick in that nest that was prepared for that eaglet before it was born not only represents the love of the parent eagle, it also represents somewhere that mama or papa eagle went before them. So when that egg is laid in the nest on a stick, that stick came from over there, but Mama or Papa Eagle was there. You're getting this. There are things that are happening in your life. The enemy would try to tell you that God doesn't see what's going on with me. God doesn't understand what I'm going through. And God would say, look at the eagle's nest. He, underst- he was there in that place in your life before you were even born. He put it this way, speaking of his own son, Jesus Christ, he said, even before the foundations of the world were laid, before God ever stood out and spoke the universes into existence, he was already the Lamb of God. He's a God that is the same yesterday, Listen to me for a moment. He's a God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's not just telling you that he doesn't change. That's telling you that he's not confined to time like we are. Moses said, what do I tell Pharaoh? Who sent me? Tell him I am. What? He's not I was or he's not I will be. You gotta get this. I understand this sounds this sounds Star Wars, Star Trekky, but listen to me for a moment. Here's what I understand. Here's, here's what I understand about this. With God, time is simply a geographic location. It's the ever present right now with God. Now your time when you were born might happen here. God does not go back in time to when you were born. He He just steps over here. One day maybe that will be opened up to you. That's what I understand. He's not confined to time. And so every situation in your life that you're facing right now, it doesn't matter if it's with your parents, your children, your husband, your wife. It's an inner turmoil. You need to know something. Your heavenly Father's been there. He knows this is, your days are numbered by him. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Sorry, Ira. But I wasn't poking at you, man. I'm serious. It's not like I'm upset with you for what you did to my office door. I would be a small man to pick on you for, for that reason. I'm not, I wouldn't do that, Ira. He knows. Listen, tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to face something. 
And it may catch you off guard. You may not have seen that coming. But you need to know this. Everything in your life is father filtered. He was already there. The nest that you're in that are made from sticks that were gathered all over the place show you that he's already been there. And he, he has made a way for you to get out of the situation if you will listen to him. If we will listen to what he has to say, we can get out of that situation because he's already been there. That, 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 that struggling marriage, that, that health issue, that this didn't catch God by surprise. He's already been there. He's already satisfied the need of the situation. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross and said, it is finished, it not only went all the way back to Adam, it went to the last chapter and the last word of the book of Revelation and it finished it. Everything was paid for. When you came to Christ, you did not get forgiven at that moment. You and I were forgiven 2,000 years ago. We received the forgiveness in that moment, but the forgiveness was already there. If you blow it tomorrow... You don't have to ask God to forgive you. He has already forgiven you. You have to accept that forgiveness. Stirs up a nest. You see, the eaglet, kind of like you and I, we'd like to just stay right there. Wouldn't we? You got it made. You got a great point of view. You're protected from any attackers. You want something to eat? You just got to open your mouth. Okay, so you're eating eagle vomit, but hey, it's the best thing you've ever eaten. You just, your, 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 your provider is taking care of everything. Oftentimes, the eagle nest the inside is lined with of animals that have been killed so it's soft, it's warm it's protected you don't have a care in the world and if you're not careful you'll want to stay there but there comes a time when the eaglet is it's, it's time to get out of the nest it's time to move on it's, you weren't designed to live your whole life in the nest you're an eagle. An eagle flies. And so what the eagle will do for its children is it will stir up the nest. It will take the, the fur out and throw it over the side. So now the eaglet is it's not soft and comfortable anymore. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about that phase in your relationship with God where, what? You, you hit a wall. How many know what I'm saying? And it's, it's, it's not, not for a season, it's not quite as fun as it used to be. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It hurts. You, you've always sat right there and it always felt good right there, but now it doesn't feel good anymore. You, you used to be able to sing that song and you got such joy out of it, but now you sing it and you get nothing. You used to be able to do this, and now you can't do that anymore because when you do it, it just... You used to be able to sit there comfortably, but there's just sticks now. 
And so now you've got to stand, and you, you can't even stand flat-footed. You've got to stand kind of crazy like this. And like, what's happening to my life? It used to be so stinking comfortable, and now I'm, I'm standing on these sticks, and I can't even sit down. I can't even get comfortable. My wife and I, unfortunately, have often been those vessels that God has used to cause people to be uncomfortable. And we, we, we end up shouldering the blame. And so they tend to focus on one thing. Well, you changed the music. The music never should have been that important to you. Well, we don't use hymnals. Well, the hymnals shouldn't be so important to you. Well, we used to do it this way. That, that, that isn't the way. The way is a person. And sometimes we've been used of God to, to be the ones that stir the nest and then people get mad at us when in reality, if you've got a genuine relationship with God, you won't get mad. Iron sharpens iron. I've never been an iron sword and I've never been a grindstone, but I've, I've sharpened knives on a grindstone and I can tell you neither one of them look like they're enjoying it. There's heat and there's sparks. There's noise. Well, God will do that to you sometime. You say, they, they were always there for me, and now they're not there for me anymore. I could always depend on this, and now I can't depend on that anymore. And, and this used to be so much fun, but it ain't fun anymore. And if you're not careful, you'll get mad at God. God, I thought, I remember I prayed just for a few moments, and you healed me. And I prayed for a few moments another day, and you healed me. And I prayed for another time a few minutes, and you healed me. And I've been praying for weeks, and I'm still sick. Stir up his nest. He's trying to tell you, you've been called to greater things. And that stirring, it never feels good. I once wanted, as a, as, a, as a child, I wanted to bless my family with, with a, a home-cooked meal by their son. So I did what any good chef does. I found a can. And I opened it. And I remember reading on the can that you should stir this. So I thought if a little bit of stirring helps... A lot of stirring will really make it taste good. They had never eaten mush and beans, much mush and pork before. It started out as pork and beans, but it ended up as pork and mush because I just stirred, and of course I wanted it to get good and hot, and so, and then I'm excited, so I'm really stirring, and now if I was French, I'd just say it's pate. But I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't French back then. <laughs> but when God stirs up the nest, it never feels comfortable. You you depended on that one. You depended on that that situation. You could always go there or you could always do that and it always seemed to make it right. But, but what you're forgetting is you're still in the nest. You're called to be an eagle that flies, not an eagle that sits in a nest. And if you've ever seen a nest that's been used a long time, it's not a pretty place. 
because they throw up bones and they excrete and they, they water it and, and it just, it, after a while, it's just awful in the neck. But they don't care. It's comfortable. And it's only when the, the eagle, the parent eagle, makes the nest uncomfortable does the eaglet start looking out. Because until then, his whole world, her whole world is that nest that dad or mom built. But now it's uncomfortable and, and the eagle is no longer just looking around at their own little world and their own little needs. They, they stop and say, whoa, look at all that. And the Bible says that here that the eagle will stand on the edge of the nest and throw its wings out, the parent. And, and the parent, it's like the parent is saying, hey, I'm brooding over you with my wings. Look at what you're made to do. You'll never know how big your God is as long as you stay in the nest. And so he stands there and says, look how big I am. Look at the magnificence. They say that an eagle's wings can be nine feet from tip to tip. That's a big bird. And if you've seen an eagle fly, they don't hardly ever flap their wings. They just... And this parent eagle is looking at the baby and saying, Look at it. There's a whole great big world out there. You'll never know it until you get out of the nest. And so they'll give you reason to get out of the nest. Listen to me for a moment. Listen to me. God's speaking to somebody. Listen to me for a moment. This, this season of discomfort in your life is not an attack of the enemy. It is not a curse that's been placed on you. There's not some witch somewhere, no voodoo going on. It's God saying, I've got bigger things for you. And you got too comfortable where you're at. And you just can't stay here. If I had little thoughts about you... I could let you stay in the nest, but I've got bigger thoughts about you. I've got greater things I want to do in you, and you've got to get out of the nest to do those things. And so I'm going to stir the nest. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to make you unhappy. I'm, you know what, parent, don't look at me that way. You tell your child to get out of bed, and they don't get out of bed. You tell them a little bit louder, get out of bed, and they don't get out of bed. You go in there, and you take the blankets, and you fling it off the bed, and you say, get off the bed. And then you go in the bathroom and you start running bath water into a bucket. And they know. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about. They know it's time to get out of bed. No, I'm not sure I want to hear this story, Dustin. No, 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 we're not going there. No. You, we understand you can relate, right? You can relate to that story. Okay. I was, I was single, had a roofing company, and had guys that worked for me. We all met in my apartment in the morning. Had a guy who slept on my couch often, because he was bad about getting up in the morning. And I'd get up, and I'd yell down to him. His name was Mike Douglas, and I'd yell down, Mike, get up. He wouldn't get up, and I'd be up shaving and getting ready, and we started early. And the guys would start coming through the front door, because I, I never locked my door, and they'd come through, and Mike Douglas would be laying on the couch, and they'd go, boss man, have you told him to get up? I said, yeah. They'd walk over to him and, bam, slap him on the back of the head. Say, get up. Well, God will do that to you and I sometimes. 
He'll give us a gentle hint. Hey, time to move on. I got better things for you. We don't take the hint. So now he makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Listen to me for a moment. Listen to me for a moment. He backs away. He backs away from us. In the Song of Solomon, she didn't get out of bed. She laid there. And she laid there. He was right there in the room with her, and she wouldn't get out of bed. And so he started to withdraw himself. Read it. Song of Solomon will, in these last days, become the most profound book, the most powerful book in the Bible. When, 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 the, when the prophet was looking for the next king of Israel, you know the story, they went through all of Jesse's sons, and none of them were it. And there, there was that one boy, he was red-headed and, and freckle-faced. That's what Rudy complexion is. He's a freckle-faced, red-headed boy, David was. Not like Richard Gere, more like Ron Howard. Okay? I'm serious. And, and the prophet called for him and said, well, there's... there's See, nobody thought he was... He was the, the Song of Solomon has been the most argued book of the Bible. There are, there are a great number of theologians that say it has no business being in Scripture. And you almost never hear it preached from. Sometime about two years ago, in, in prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said this. When I was praying about a move of God in this country, and God said this, that you think this move is going to look like Acts chapter 2, but it's going to look more like the Song of Solomon. In the Song of Solomon, the, 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 he's in the room with her, but she won't wake up. Listen to me for a moment. She won't wake up. The church played in America when the towers got hit. We went to church for a few weeks, and we wouldn't wake up. We wouldn't come to our senses. And so now there's things happening in our country that are getting our attention. What has happened is God has backed up and said, okay, okay. And then she wakes up. And she said, I, he was here. And I let him get away. And she runs out the door after him. That's where we're going to be as a body in America we're going to one of these days come to our senses and stand up and say, wait a minute, this isn't who we are. And we're going to go after God. And then's when revival is going to break out, when the church goes after God. But she goes after God when she leaves the comfort of her bedroom. And God is trying to get people to leave the comfort of their nest. And so it says here that he will take that eaglet and he will... Bear that eaglet on its wings. I want to tell you something. For that little eagle, that's got to be the most terrifying thing to happen. They've been sitting in this nest all this time, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're like that, just soaring in the air. It's like, oh my gosh. And that parent eagle will fly higher and higher and higher, and the baby eaglet, I'm thinking, it's got to be freaking out. Can't see the nest anymore, and there's nothing to stand on, and it doesn't feel solid. And then the parent almost, almost does the most horrific thing. It will get way up there, and the parent eagle will tip over and drop the eaglet off its back. And that little eaglet will flap and 
flapping and it's falling and tumbling and falling and tumbling and it's flapping and I'm sure it's thinking, why did you do this to me? Don't you care? Doesn't it bother you? Don't you see what's happening to my life? Everything's about to come to a crashing end. But before that eaglet will hit the ground, the parent will swoop underneath it and get the eaglet and, and then take it right back up again. I want to tell you this simple truth. doesn't matter what you're going through right now. doesn't matter how fast you're falling and how fast things are getting bad. Your papa can fly faster than you can fall. And before. And so Martha and Mary said, Master, if you had only been here, this wouldn't have happened. He's four days dead now. Not a big deal. I can raise him that instant. I can raise him four days later. Your situation is not so far gone that your daddy can't fix this. What you're going to find is you're developing some spiritual wings. Because as long as you stay in the nest, your world is just the size of that little nest. But when you get out, wow! Stand your feet. That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.